0: Welcome to The Gem Series, powered by Rocket Level. On this podcast, we empower entrepreneurs to succeed by setting big goals, executing like a pro, and having a fearless mindset. The Gem Series is all about investing in yourself. We're here to share the path to getting what you want out of life by sharing the stories of entrepreneurs who have done this themselves, providing thorough research from our team on what careers and habits are yielding the best results and discussing the mindset it takes to overcome the obstacles that all future entrepreneurs will face. Investing in yourself starts with putting in the work every single day, and this podcast is here to help you do exactly that. My name is Blake Chapman. I'm the Vice President of the Ambassador Program here at Rocket Level, and I am thrilled to be your host for the Gem series.
1: Everybody, this is uh I've got HB on the show today. HB Pasley. It's a pleasure to have you on. I uh I've been doing lots of listening to podcasts you've been on, uh, stalking you on YouTube, stalking mm. you on LinkedIn, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I uh, I gotta say, you know, I'm already picking up a lot of lessons, and I think that you know you're a perfect fit to to bring on for our our show today. So thank you so much for making the time. Um, how are you
2: doing? It's great to be here. Uh, I'm actually seated in Alabama today. My family is uh, here. I'm from the South originally. Now, my wife uh, and my two sons, we've spent the last 22 years in Colorado. I live in Colorado Springs. Uh, but it's uh, its fun. I've always liked spending time, Blake, with people who love helping people. It's a special class of human who takes time and energy and tries to put it into others. And I noticed that your podcast and the conversations you've been leading really are about helping other people. So I just hope to contribute uh, one thing over the course of this two and a half hour podcast
1: it's actually uh five and a half hours
2: (laughs) (laughs) the reason it's so long kids is because they have to they have to record long enough to capture something worthwhile so you're getting the trimmed down focus stuff
1: (laughs) well i uh you know i'm i'm sure you have all kinds of uh tactical insights and i i bet we get something in the first 10 minutes you know um (laughs) but uh hb that's uh that's cool to hear that you're also a fellow uh southeasterner i'm over here i've always been in uh in georgia uh and you know grew up in a small town living in in atlanta but um i wanted to hear a little bit more maybe what was uh yeah what was growing up like because you were born in in alabama like you said and i i heard somewhere Mm -hmm. you were one of the youngest lifeguards ever in uh (laughs)
2: <laughs> in <laughs> well, Alabama. I think I came across that somewhere too, right? <laughs> no, I, just, I often mention that as the, uh, you know, everybody when they're starting out uh, has inception moments, places where they discover what they love, what they don't love. Sometimes it's trauma, sometimes it's success. Uh, I, I did get my life saving a couple of months before I was, I legally should have had it, but I had a a, a relative who put me through the training before my birthday, which for me was like da da, and I got my first job at the YMCA in Prattville, Alabama. I think my mom had to drop me off like she was dropping me off at school, right? I couldn't even drive yet to get there, and I discovered something about myself that summer. I thought sitting in the lifeguard chair and spinning the whistle and looking sexy would like be my destiny, and of course, you know that was part of my my destiny, Blake. But looking back over those two summers, the thing that I I remembered is how much fun it was to teach swimming lessons. I was in the pool every morning from like 8 to 12 with kids of all different ages. And I was practicing that fine art of helping people through crisis moments. But as I look back, I think the (laughs) the, the, the reason I was good quickly is I'm the kid who though his dad was a lifeguard and a strong swimmer, I failed beginner swimming lessons four times. <laughs> I mean, well, I had panic attacks when I was a kid. So yeah. you, some sort of an empathy thing happened where I could understand once I got through that that fear, right? once I got through the barrier that was in my brain, I was able to see that look on other kids' faces and help them through that moment. And that's really how I remember the first part of my life when I realized coaching was sort of not something I did it's just something that I was. Mm,
1: yeah. And you know, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I mean, I think that's so powerful that you're like, I, you know, was having panic attacks. It took me four times to to pass through it because, you know, if you're going through the, if you're going through uh freaking out in the pool over there, probably the last person that you that could bring you i don't know you don't know that for sure i guess but it's a lot harder to bring comfort to somebody if you haven't been there yourself you know because they'll be like well i just i don't know that uh you quite relate to what i'm going to because you're uh you're somebody who your parents threw you in the pool as a baby and you started doing uh <laughs> perfect <laughs> perfect uh perfect swimming right away you know So <laughs> perfect butterfly I stroke. State- so i was trying to think of a good uh <laughs>
2: That's right. I suffered, I think, more from stage fright, like uh, Mm. the crowd. It's funny that my career for the next decades of my life, I stood in front of hundreds and thousands of people writing music, performing, uh, speaking and working in public. It's like you would never have put money on me when I was a kid because I was so freaked out by the masses, by you know, faces looking at you. And then sure enough, that became uh, central uh, to my journey. But you're right, though, empathy... The ability to get in somebody else's shoes—the people that you care for—is probably the secret sauce that the best advisors that I know um, tap into. That, which seems to be more important than that list of expert skills that you have, because I work—I work with nerds, blank, and they all have powerful genius nerd skills, and and nerds often want to lean on that genius. Uh, and what happens is they they miss the opportunity to make deeper connections with the people that they're talking to because it's all about empathy and hearing somebody else's story, not just bringing up your superpowers. But, you know, I guess I'm, I took off there.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, it kind of made me think too, because I was like, so after you had this experience as a lifeguard and you just, this when did this epiphany come to you? And like, Did that lead into, you know, your next jobs or, uh, you know, and was that something you kind of took into consideration pretty quickly once you learned that about yourself?
2: Well, I think what happens is in my journey, I was not that smart. Like I take usually three times hitting my head on the same problem before I actually learned the lesson. Uh, And so I was a slow learner. So retrospectively, as you get older, you start to put these things together, especially if you learn that your own story is the seat or the foundation of your authenticity people throw around that word authenticity or being authentic a lot uh and it kind of it honestly sometimes it confuses me the way people use the word here's what i do know that if your mission in life isn't connected to your actual story you cannot be authentic so i sort of discovered that slowly i would say my next major steps really in my journey were going to college i went to samford in birmingham alabama And by then I was already interested in something. My dad was an accountant. My mom was like an executive uh, office, you know, gal who took care of everything. And so I had very conservative, straightforward parents. Well, I was interested not only in the liberal arts and music and writing. I was also interested in ministry. One of my mentors coming up was my youth pastor at my little church. And what I learned in that space was that loving other people was was a very powerful art and it sort of consumed a lot of my energy. So I went to college actually thinking about that kind of stuff. Joined a music group because uh, I've always been creative in that arena. And the guy leading this music group, I thought we were just gonna do maybe <laughs> normal, I don't know, church music or Because I kind of knew that stuff. He He booked a concert at a juvie hall. And here's so here's a bunch of basically where it's a white ensemble from a private Christian school playing for 200 black kids on the west side of Birmingham. And it it was one of the worst concerts ever performed.
1: Uh, so, yeah. How did uh, I want a quick play by play? How did that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was bad. The, the jokes were bad. the The music didn't fit. The kids were thankful that we're there. Now, you could tell that like they were like, oh, you know, just having somebody who cares. That was powerful. But we didn't know we didn't know how to how to build that bridge. We, we had the heart to, to love on them and to help them, but we didn't have the tools. So we get out of this deal. I, I can see the look on the chaplain's face. He's relatively disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> he expected more. We get out in the parking lot. And I remember my colleagues uh, turning to the guy who was leading it, a guy named Greg Nicholson. Great guy. Spent his life in Thailand, still there. And uh, everybody was like, hey, whose idea was this? We should never do that again. And Blake, I spent the next 35 years of my life trying to do that better. I I could not get it out of my head. So I I literally, that's when I began to write music and create messaging that I thought would better suit that environment. And uh, that's how I that's how I kicked off my career, and literally for over three decades, I was trying to figure out how do how do I create messaging that people who are in need can hear, that they can act on, and how do I just bridge that gap, you know? So that that would that probably defines more about how I spent a lot of my adult life uh, until recently. I just recently have moved into professional advising as a business advisor and business coach. There's um, you know.
1: I feel like there's a lot of overlap there too between, you know, the impact of what you were trying to do with your music and what you're doing right now. Everything kinda builds to builds to that moment. I was uh yeah, I I, I absolutely love music and I whenever I saw you had a musical background, I was like, All right, I'll try not to talk your ears off too much about it. Um, but that was something that do I was
2: Sorry. Do you play an instrument?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I love, uh, I, I I make like singer songwriter music and, uh, you know, (laughs) do some production in my house and stuff like that. It's my, uh, my second, my second love, you know? Awesome. uh, Awesome. Yeah. So whenever I saw that you were doing, I was like, not only were you involved in like, uh, you know, all kinds of, you know, performances and production. I also saw something about, you know, you were even creating like analog tone. I read that on there. Um, And You really did stalk
2: me. Very good, by the way. Any guest on the show, (laughs) if you're guesting on Blake's show, you better be ready because this guy does his research. He's going to (laughs) know stuff that's going on. It might have come from that same logic. So even though I I was a leader in what we would call the small boutique or guerrilla warfare nonprofit sector for a long time, but a lot of people don't realize that the smaller nonprofits basically are just small businesses. They run like businesses. You still budget plan, pursue, you have to message, focus, focus your offerings. You know, uh, in the nineties, my wife and I toured together, I, I booked, and we, uh, we, uh, we performed about 125, 150 concerts a year for six, seven years. That's not the product of the internet age. I'd like to remind you that, uh, Al Gore had not invented the internet in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. And so it was old school. You had to get on the phone and you played a concert. You had to call the host back and go, hey, did you enjoy it? Was it good? How could we improve? Who else do you think might enjoy what we were doing? And that old school, what people might call a sales approach, I just call I just thought of it as mm. a relationship building, right? I had to get a referral. I had to get feedback. I had to get better. And we just booked and booked and booked and booked. Uh, those concerts. And over the years, when you're doing that sort of guerrilla warfare, like to analog tone, I didn't miss your question, by the way. No, no. What you start doing is you start solving the problems that are in front of you. Mm. At yeah. least that, that's the way that I'm built. I, I needed yeah. to solve problems that were in front of me. One of the problems that I had was um, back in the 90s and early 2000s, it was digital tools were coming online so that you could record at home like right now it's crazy you (laughs) our computers are so powerful you can just do anything back then it was hard to get the tone it was hard to get the sound it was hard to feel like you were getting a nice professional sound on home gear or computers because they weren't quite up to speed so uh i had fallen in love with how music sounded in the 60s and 70s when everything was analog and going to tape and they used you know (laughs) tubes and stuff like that so i actually yeah i did some research and i actually found out that i could add i don't want to get too nerdy but transformers are one of these very physical tools that changes electricity from a certain value to another value and when that happens it also can in audio world impart a little sound or a little warmth a little interest and i was so fascinated by it that i did actually uh invent a little circuit that created something very easy for the small small business musicians to use. And uh, I had a lot of fun promoting and connecting that with some professionals over a few years. Um, that business is no longer alive, but you won't find analogtone.com out there. We didn't move enough product for me to create a saleable business. That would have been nice. Um, but like you, I, had, I always have a few too many irons in the fire. <laughs> I relate to that. <laughs> yeah. So it, it never became my primary, but it was really fun to invent a thing, make a thing that might help somebody else. And I think that's kind of the predictable nature of my journey at this point. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, as an, as an entrepreneur, uh, it's so important, I think, to be able to take a step back and look at things from a bigger picture and realize that there's so many missions that probably fit into something that would achieve helping somebody else you know and this is just another example of uh of that i was curious i I won't go off on too much of a tangent and just talk about analog tone but is it is it the blue box is that what it, it is? was yeah you know there, the there was a there was yeah i was like there was that thing it looks great i love the look <laughs> of it i might i saw one on reverb before our call and i was like i might have to pick one up and uh maybe hb would get a kick out of that i'll I'll try it that, out
2: <laughs> that's very funny that those things are still floating around I, I made a couple of small ones that were desktop and i made a actually I made a rack mount unit that had eight circuits in it but there oh, were very few thing. of those a couple shipped to europe it was just it was weird and interesting you know, I, I it comes down to probably something that I was learning then that I didn't actually master. I don't know if I've mastered it yet either, but I, I was just learning uh, that we have to understand the people that we're serving and get really, really focused on that particular group because nobody can afford the time and energy to just spread your message everywhere. And the more focused you get, the, the more fun, it's kind of like limitation itself brings more power and more energy to what we're doing. Um, with that in mind, I hope you don't mind. This is a gratuitous. I'm going to turn it around on you. I'd love to find out as you guys have been working on the podcast, you've been working on your messaging. Uh, how would you put in a short paragraph, your picture of your ideal listener? The people that you think are getting the absolute most out of this podcast, who you love messaging to, who are those people? How do you describe them?
1: you know that's uh that's a wonderful question that's something that I think we chew on quite a bit over here and i uh I'm always wondering that, and I found that it 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 goes pretty it goes pretty broad, but I do notice that there are a few things in common um, you know in terms of like broad categories, absolutely like business coaches all day long. I want to, t- I love talking to business coaches and getting to, uh, you know, introduce them to messages of other people. But I would say um, our listeners, typically somebody that is, uh, has some sort of an entrepreneurial spirit, um, a desire to find some sort of way towards financial freedom and, you know, generally values, uh, is hungry for autonomy, like all of us are, um and mm-hmm. and and i'd say beyond that it's also somebody that uh is looking at life today and imagining what life could be like uh you know one year down the road two years down the road if they made a few gotcha. small adjustments to become a better version of themselves you know so that's I, I very powerful that, you know i and 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 because that's who i am you know <laughs> that's uh that's somebody that uh I, and so i i hope that that message comes through with this podcast and you know, guests like you are always, uh, you know, you 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 aid this mission, you know, in in such a powerful way. So it's always wonderful to get to talk to guys like you, and um, you know, my I, I could I can't complain over here. You know, my life's been good getting to getting to meet all these wonderful people like yourself and share that message with our listeners. So thanks for asking me that,
2: Blake. I, I too love that conversation about. Who Not only who we love, but who we're magic with. And you just said something I think is very cool. I've yet to find, uh, because I work with advisors, okay, a lot of financial advisors, people in professional services, I find that whoever they are, whatever they love, whatever is their story, their driver, and then I take their favorite clients, if we can put them into like a a bowl (laughs) and look at them. They share so much in terms of value, story, drivers, and what interests them that I I can almost look at either one of those first and know what the other one's going to be. I can look at your Mm -hmm. best clients and I'll know who you are. Or I can look at you and your team for a little while and I know exactly who your best clients are going to be. My job, though, is to help each business owner discover that for themselves. I can't just tell them because, well, that's no fun.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. And when
2: we discover stuff for ourselves, it means more to us. It, so it becomes valuable. So,
1: no, that's, that's wonderful. And I think that's like, just so true. How did you, yeah. How did you get to a point? Um, Cause kind of like you mentioned about yourself takes me a while to get to epiphanies and I have to hit my head three times too, to, <laughs> to, to have these things happen. So, you know, tell me a little bit about getting to uh, you know, that, that kind of conclusion about, about, people. I mean these are these are deep truths that I think are essential once people can actually realize, you know, how relationships operate, you know. <laughs> hmm
2: I and, you know, like you and like me, we we've often assembled our best wisdom from people in our journeys, not from books. Now books are important, but they don't quite do the same thing that a person does when they put their hand on your shoulder. They're talking to you specifically about your stuff and asking you hard questions, okay? Nothing replaces personal interaction, mentorship, one-on-one, human connection, okay? So I remember, uh, it's been many years, might be 20 years ago, I was talking to my friend David Shirk, who's a very good mentor of mine. And we started talking about personal gravity. The idea that every human, like a celestial body, right? I always think, I like to think about myself as having a heavenly body. You should ask Robin, <laughs> my wife about that. But all heavenly bodies have enough weight in them to attract. And there's two questions implied in that. Does your life have enough weight, purpose, and focus to actually attract? And then who you attract is, uh, it's a polarity issue. It's those who are like you. They, there's something that you're resonating with. And, uh, I would say i've been you know I've been chewing on that a few decades. So I've been working on that, been chewing on that for a couple of decades. It's when I stepped into financial advising mm. that i was I was enjoying the sport of being an advisor. But as I was looking around, I was realizing that every advisor is actually running a small business. They're developing trust. They're trying to deliver very important life messages to people of all different shapes and sizes, some who are ready to hear that message, some who are not, okay? Some who have big goals, some who may not. And I I watched this happen and I realized, oh, I see this personal gravity thing in play here. I see that this type of advisor attracts this kind of client and they do better together. And I realized there's no one way to build an advisory profession. And it's certainly ham-handed to the nth degree for anybody who's in the financial services just to feel like they should just run around trying to chase people at high financial brackets. Mm. That's just dumber than a sack of hammers. Yeah. I mean, I get, that, yeah. uh, I get that capacity has to be there to need a financial advisor, but there was so much more I thought that advisors could put into their personal gravity development Uh, that had to do with their story and their drivers and the stuff that made them unique. And they could leverage that. So that's why I started the business called Ideal Client Experience because I wanted to help uh, two things roll out immediately. Get a hold of yourself so you can know who your ideal client is, i.e. authenticity. And then secondly, learn how to make the entire process about them and not about you. That's where the experience part comes in. And it turns out that message was received so energetically from my peers, that my coaching practice launched uh, almost accidentally as I began to process this with others. They were like, please, let's spend more time working on this together. And I was like, please, I will be happy to if you pay me. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, so, make this my
1: livelihood.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it was more fun. I liked financial advising because it was a very, it's a, it's a wonderful art and it's a very uh, admirable sport. And some very good people are in that field, but I was more interested in helping more advisors become great, and so I left actual financial advising. I do not do that any longer, and I just uh, primarily I work on helping advisors build better, more healthy practices using that, that ideal client experience process.
1: Yeah, you know, and and that is uh, such a powerful shifting point too, because I feel like you know when you're trying to realize where you can make the biggest impact. It sounds like you had a, had some time to sit there and experience maybe some of the items of I guess around financial advising that were uh, overly clinical or, um, you know, un, generally unpleasant. And at the end of the day, financial advising is like uh, deeply personal, you know, or it's uh, to the point where, you know, I feel like it, there's, you have to be, there's a lot of room to make somebody feel very uh, important, sound comfortable, and uh, get them to a position where they're you're not just uh, seeing people leave leave from you left and right. And it sounds like uh, that's that's kind of been the mission you've been on for the, for some time now. And uh, I don't know that gets me uh, that gets me really excited because I think in younger years, even when I think about being like going to a financial advisor, Oh, you're gonna I don't know, the stigma around it is that you might even be like, Oh, I'm 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 gonna go have to before you know anything and you're a kid, you're like, I'll have to go to these Wolf of yeah. Wall Street esque people and <laughs> they're gonna rip me to shreds and uh and hopefully I'll make a few bucks, you know. So it's nice to humanize the practice for, for the general hey, public, you know?
2: That's an extremely common sentiment. I and I think you should have no shame or, uh, feel, uh, singled out. Most people feel like when you're going to meet with an expert, the sense is you're going to feel dumb because they're smart. Everybody comes into it that way. Uh, I, and I think that's kind of part of the core. So, uh, advisors when they're, when they're smart and really when they care for human beings, it, they let that be known right at the top. So what, I I have three steps. I'll Maybe I'll just mention one today on how to choose a great advisor because you're going to be a little nervous. So here's step one. Step one is is not, just so you know, it's not checking out their resume. It's not knowing their certifications. It's not arguing about the word fiduciary. It's not, it's really not any technical weird stuff. It's when you sit down with them for the first time, all you need to do is in your, on the notes of your page, just note how many questions they ask about your life. You need that. That first conversation needs to be so much about you that it is actually noticeable, that they want to know about you. They want to hear about you. They want to know why you want to do this and why you love that and why you're afraid of that. If you sit with an advisor and you can feel that deep, resonant interest, they're not just reading a script, but they really want to know who you are. You just crossed 80% of the great advisor gauntlet and you probably have the right person. Okay. Step one, is it all about you or does the advisor make it about them and their practice? If you feel the latter, I would advise you to continue interviewing potential advisors until you sit with that person who makes it makes you feel like it's all about you.
1: That's you know, and that's in, that's incredible, uh incredible advice, you know, because I do feel like if you're partnering up with somebody that is uh just running down a running down a form with you and filling it out, then I don't know, there's <laughs> I, I just can't see you uh, building a building a relationship out of something something like that. Um, I had one note on here of something I wanted to ask you about a little bit, just because I've noticed that you know you've, you you've talked a lot about failure over the years and and being able to navigate through that and uh, you know the power of vulnerability and that just really I don't know just really resonated with me. Um, I think vulnerability in particular is a superpower in anything you're trying to do. Uh, mm. it's, uh mm. I, I think it's your, your, your biggest advocate because it does align with what your origin story is and your motivations. Uh, so yeah. Tell me a little bit about, you know, your relationship with, uh, with, with failure and, and what kind of, I don't know, sometimes it's hard to be vulnerable, you know? <laughs> so, uh, no, what, what it, it is, lean?
2: it is hard to be vulnerable. Well, and it is, it is true that I feel like I've made an Olympic sport out of messing everything up. More than one time, uh, because I am a slow learner. Um, You know, this is funny. This comes from two different sides of my life, but um, and it just came to my mind. I don't often talk about it this way, but coming up because I I did take on leadership roles. Okay, I was uh, holding the microphone often on the stage, or I was leading a team, or I was getting hired to do things with people who are in leadership um this i hope this doesn't come off cynical or negative but i also learned very quickly that the leadership class can have a powerful butt spirit i didn't want to say <laughs> it's on your podcast but i just said you it can. <laughs> i'll that disclaimer but th- there was this sort of propensity and yeah. and what i you, you start to sort this out you start
0: so a number of you have probably seen the words rocket level <laughs> thrown around a little bit here and there, and I wanted to take a moment just to explain what that is. So the GEM series comes from Rocket Level, uh, who is somebody that I work with directly. And Rocket Level is a marketing technology company that specializes in meeting the unique needs of small and medium-sized businesses. So over the years, through strategic collaborations with national brands, franchise groups, and local partners, Rocket Level has become a trusted ally for SMBs operating in the market. And right now, Rocket Level's primary focus is to provide a comprehensive range of marketing solutions for SMBs, including website development, SEO, paid ads, email marketing, social media management, and just about anything you can think of. By offering a done-for-you approach, Rocket Level takes care of all aspects of digital marketing, allowing SMBs to focus on their core business operations. I know that everybody talks about this all the time. It's so hard to focus on the fulfillment side of things and been an absolute honor getting to partner with Rocket Level throughout the years and be able to see them provide a solution for people that maybe don't don't have the talent right now, maybe don't have the time and maybe don't have the playbook or the tools available. It truly is buttoned up in such a way that you can give somebody your high level objectives and get this stuff knocked out. So if you're curious, you should definitely, definitely give us a shout.
2: Start to sort this out, you start to feel it like, well, I like this guy over here, but when he gets into that position, he acts crazier. This woman is very kind, but when she's in leadership, she's just, this is not. And what I realized was that they, just like I failed beginner swimming lessons four times, and then that empathy helped me be a good coach. I realized that when I was accused of, because I was, of being a real or somebody who didn't respect others, who couldn't listen to others, what I was doing is I was. I was royally failing because I was insecure. Insecurity is an awareness that you're not up to spec, but instead of talking about not being up to spec, you hide it. You overachieve, you talk more, you get bossy, you do anything to shield yourself. So what I what I realized was most of the leaders that annoyed me were just as insecure as me, no different. But they were trying to hide it in some kind of a shell, and that shell created um, intolerable leadership style, bad culture, and frankly, short tenure. And so this is kind of the dark side of this mountain. Okay. Uh, and what I think it taught me was, and it pressed it on me, uh, quickly was HB, if you're going to get better, if you're going to heal from your own tendency to want to hide your failures and, and panic and freak out when you don't feel sufficient, you're going to have to do the opposite. It's like George Costanza's Opposite Day on uh, (laughs) Seinfeld. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Do
1: you remember? That's a great reference.
2: I I watched that episode maybe two months ago. So hilarious. (laughs) This is great. Just do the thing that you, the opposite of what you feel like you should do. So what we feel like we should do is is buffer and push people back and then um, show our best hand at all times. I've learned that the that when I'm in my best leadership modality, I'm actually uh, talking about the things that I'm afraid of. I'm, I'm bringing to other people's attention things that I failed at and the things that I'm weak at. And the more I do that, I realize that I'm building a better human connection. People can relate to failure more than they relate to success. I don't know why, but that's just how we're built and i'm able then to create a team environment instead of a me you or us them environment in leadership and uh we could by the way we could do a series of podcasts on this process
1: Hey, maybe but we. I, i'm with you
2: <laughs> yeah well, i think vulnerability is that superpower but you, you have to have something you have to have courage to help you be vulnerable you can't just say out loud vulnerability is cool and then get there you have to have like this story for me you have to see this in your mind and go okay if I want to get better at leadership, HB and Blake are saying I'm going to have to learn how to share some of my frailties and some of my weaknesses with those people that I'm leading. And that that actually isn't a negative. That actually is a positive exponentially.
1: Absolutely.
2: And the ground is the ground is not going to slip out from under you. The judgment team is not going to come uh, you know, throw you, away and rip the tags off your mattresses and tell you that you failed that was the mattress police by the way <laughs> you know you, you're gonna be okay and and i think it's time for everybody to, to say today like today and this week what's one thing i could do with my team that would reveal a little bit of my weak suit instead of my strong suit how could i confess that in a way to just be available to them and say i struggle with that too yeah this would be a great week for that might as well do it this week
1: I completely agree. I completely agree. Well, I mean, your relatability goes through the roof as soon as you just take like the smallest risk with, with, uh, with your team in in that way. And that, and it's, I, I shouldn't even say it because I don't even think it's a risk. You know, I think it's uh it's an opportunity that you you know have waiting for you at, at this exact moment, you know, whenever you're deciding to let people in just a little bit. So is this something that you, you end up, sorry, go, I was going to say, is this something no, no. you end up coaching uh, some of your
2: folks yes. on? Yeah. Yes, I do. Matter of fact, we, one of the first things that I work with advisors on, on is uh, even though they want to talk about uh, winning the best clients and retaining those clients, everybody wants to talk about that in the advisory profession. You could be an attorney. An accountant. You could be a nonprofit development leader. If you're, if you're a trust builder, okay. Everybody wants to talk about those two things, and I'll get there. It's important. It's central to my practice. But the first thing we do is I say, well, tell me a story about early in your life when you failed or succeeded, and you learned something important about yourself. Okay. You asked me twice today um, to answer a certain question about myself, and I told two stories, and both of the stories warmed up and immediately went through a failure, okay? So if you go back and listen to the tape and you listen to my storytelling, you'll hear that I'm telling a story about myself, but in both cases, I failed. And the failure was what gave rise to an opportunity to learn something new. And I like it when my overconfident, super jealous financial advisor clients (laughs) find a couple of stories about failure as quick as they can. I love stories about great mentors as well and I love great stories about successes when we were young. I mean they're all important. But that is part of my coaching practice. Can you tell a story that lets me know something about you and then connect that to what you do today? Cuz if you can if you again if you can connect your story with your mission, magic sauce. Heck yeah, <laughs> you better believe it. that is magic
1: sauce, you know. I mean, I think that's uh that's something that needs to cut into working culture in general, because uh, I, I can't tell you how many people are, you know, uh, probably having to hide themselves a bit. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. and and that just uh, there's a friction to that that wears you down to
2: nothing over time, you know, and uh, mm. I. Oh, my God. Try that for a few years and see how that works out for you. I did. Yeah. yeah. You you just die. You die internally before you you quit before everybody's ready to fire you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because that's the hard thing, right? Because you have a sense. You're like you're like you know what's going. You know, you kind of know what's going on inside. And uh, no, it totally totally drains you. Um, But I think that's so powerful that you're taking the time to share that with people. And uh, that's something I hope everybody does take that challenge this week. I, uh, I I really love that. Um, so a, a little bit of my, uh, my, my deep diving here. I also saw that, uh, you know, y- y- you mentioned, uh, interest in like coffee, cigars, minimalism. And what has stood out to me is, um, the greater mission obviously is helping people, but also it seems like, you know, on the other side of that statement where you mentioned those things, you talked about other items where you're like, I don't know a ton about pop culture and, and, you know, things like that. And I'm kind of like that too. Um, and maybe I'm just putting my own lens on this, but do you find that there are things that are really novel to you that just uniquely spike your curiosity? Um, and then, uh, how how does your brain work? I guess I'm kind of
2: I'm kind of curious about stuff like that. You <laughs> know I know that's, that's a, a big very, question. It's <laughs> a very scary. How does your brain work? How does your that's brain work? That's a very work, scary.
1: How does your brain podcast work
2: question?
0: <laughs> Sorry. You know
2: that's very. I was just talking to somebody the other day who. Um, Was having trouble knowing how to uh, be a host of a party. Like, HB, how do I pull people together to do this thing? Because he's come to several things that my wife and I have hosted. And he's like, well, how do you do it? And I said, well, okay, step one is never bring up your profession at your party. (laughs) He said, well, what are we going to talk about? And I said, tell me one thing that you're, you kind of have a nerdy interest in something that involves taste. Now, taste could be taste in art. It could be taste in cigars. It could be taste in fashion. It could be taste in gardening. Okay. Taste is an aesthetic preference. Now this may be, you ask how my brain works. Okay. I'm telling you, I've never been asked this question before, but I'm,
1: I I think it's kind of a, I was like, I'm going to shoot my shot with HB today. I'm going to see if uh, I'll I'll, I'll go ahead and ask. I've never asked that question before, but I was
2: curious. (laughs) Well, it's a bit of a trade secret for me, I think. And I I told him, I said, look, just decide on the thing that you love to share your taste. This guy loves wine. Uh, And he started collecting a little bit and he started learning. And I said, look, look, dude, just when you get together, don't show off about it, but uh, share your wine taste with others. Bring out a bottle and tell the story like, where is this from? What's the region? Tell us something we don't know. Geek out on that a little bit. What's going to happen is you're going to see that other people who love taste, they don't have to be wine experts. They're going to deeply appreciate that you nerd out about something that they could also enjoy. And people are going to have feedback. People can share their opinions. And I think that's the key to a successful party and kind of the key to becoming better socially as a, I will say this, as a man in particular I can't. I mean, I I like women. I'm not one. I'm married to one. I don't understand her, but I sure do love spending time with her. We're going to celebrate 29 years of marriage in November. Okay. We've been at this a while. Yeah. She's smarter than me. Anyway, for men, we tend to uh, want to go engineering. If we get around, people get nervous. We want to talk about our skills. Uh, You want to wrestle? You know, it becomes weird. So I found that encouraging men to think about something that you enjoy taste and you enjoy preferences in, great conversation, great way to host a party. And for me, it's the way that, that my mind works in this thing. I love sharing those, the little nuances of pleasure and enjoyment. Why do you like that so much? Well, I like it because of this. I find it makes great conversation.
1: Absolutely. It does. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a really unique tool just to be able to actually get people to relax a little bit and feel at ease. And, uh, also goes back to, you know, let people in you don't have to talk about your uh, <laughs> i've always i've always that's it's funny i haven't ever had that realization before but i always feel like if i'm having a party or i'm at a social event or something as soon as i start talking about uh if we get into careers like immediately i feel like yeah Maybe we're not doing a great job right away,
2: you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, it's like a, it's important to everybody, but it doesn't seem central. People are more comfortable with the, uh, I, you know, that's that's another podcast maybe because I don't want to dive, dive to. There's something about us though, that we know that we trust people who tell their personal stories. That's just a basic. Uh, Yuck, you've been very self-revealing today, even in the interview, things that you like, uh, the fact that you love music and you're recording in the basement. And, <laughs> exactly. and coming coming up in Atlanta, because you're self-revealing, you seem more approachable and easy to talk to. That's why you're great at this job. Well, thanks, HB. <laughs> the second thing I know about you is you do a crap ton of research. I love, you must, do you read fiction or nonfiction as a preference?
1: You know, I think I, I'll say this, I listen to nonfiction, I read fiction. <laughs>
2: Okay. No, this is very interesting because obviously you, you enjoy podcasts as well, then you listen to other people's productions, I Absolutely. guess. Absolutely. Yeah, I get it. Absorbing knowledge has its own juju, you know, to it. I I kind of rebooted my love for fiction a few years ago. I realized that I had spent so much of my life learning so that I could distribute that I was tired of feeling like an intellectual airport. So I thought I would <laughs> okay put myself back into the entertainment position of reading and i really enjoyed it a lot i'm reading the jack reacher series right now i love these sort of action episodic things and um that, makes that too me- is kind of a taste thing you know
1: yeah that makes me no that makes me happy to hear that uh that you're 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 diving into some some fiction because that was something i also intellectual airport is so on point like sometimes <laughs> sometimes doing this stuff you're like I had to learn that over the years too is like yes it's one thing to like read a book but you aren't providing that much value if what you're doing is maybe just spitting out what's in the book it's like you have to mm. for me I or you know you probably you might be but I guess for me what I found was more useful was to absorb the knowledge and then go live my life. And then scenarios would pop up and I'd be like, Oh yeah, I learned, I actually learned something about this that is applicable. And then those experiences over time kind of add up into something where you can learn, Mm -hmm. you know,
2: look, I've got, I brought, uh, because I travel to be with my family for a period of time. I have a stack of books here. So I have, uh, this is a Lee child book. This is a Jack Reacher book. Okay. So I'm ready to go there. Uh, this is a devotional book. My wife loves this. Devotional books are like where if you want to have a little spiritual bite every day, like a a, a a hot pocket with scripture in it, this is called The Pleasure of His Company by Dutch Sheets. I've only read one chapter of this. Don't tell my <laughs> wife. i I got to get in there. You're
1: like the, this, is a, chapter.
2: this is a great book. I have it because a guy, a friend of mine was bringing this back to my attention that I shared this book with him maybe 15 years ago. It was shared with me 30 years ago. And it's called Peak Performance Principles for High Achievers. And I know that's a campy title. Please don't judge me or the author, John R. No, N-O-E. This book set me on a course of understanding how to turn an idea into a practical mission. This lo- it's just a little paperback. It's about mountain climbing and how you prepare incrementally to get somewhere but i'm telling you i still regurgitate things from this book 30 years later <laughs> horrible that's, title
1: that's incredible i actually love the cover though very uh it's, 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 it's uh, kind of amazing what what era
2: does that remind you is it like 80s that, or 90s i was like yeah yeah
1: it's uh, it's got the it's it's got a retro a retro vibe to it i but i'm 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 digging it i like it
2: <laughs> yeah all right and then because i picked up the book sec now it's gratuitous uh book plugging time.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, hey, you're actually Did you see that coming? <laughs> you're, hey, you're lining up, you're lining up with my notes perfectly cuz that was what I was uh, I was gearing up to talk about. So,
0: never drop the ball. I brought one again. with me.
2: <laughs> never drop the ball again, baby it's kind of, It sounds kind of a panic attack, doesn't it? That's uh, but you know my story. And one of the one of the things that I see when I see chaos or panic on an advisor's face, it's often when they lost a client or something went sideways in a relationship and they're not sure why. And teams that grow above five, six, seven people often it's not the, it may not be the lead advisor who dropped the ball. It's somebody on the team. And they're like, HB, I don't know why. You know, I, I did this. I thought I was awesome. And then I, I handed the client over to my teammate and then they blew it. This isn't always the story, but what the reason that we blame shift and it gets, um, tense is because we care about our people. So this little book is um, central to my practice, helping people understand that client experience, how our clients and how our audience perceives and receives us emotionally, how they feel about our relationship is at least as or more important than the actual product that we're delivering. And the, the market shows this too. Data over the last couple of decades have continued to show that you can't just compete on quality of product. And you certainly just can't compete on price because because the global marketplace has made price compression ridiculous. So, right. So the place we compete now, you and I both is not just, it's not just providing a podcast. You can't even provide just a conversation. You have to provide something that uniquely situates itself in the life of your listener so that they loved it. They got something out of it. that was great. And they can't wait to come back next week. And do it again so this is a hundred page book never drop the ball again how the ideal client experience will save your business it's only a hundred pages long i tried to copy one of my well i guess he's like a hero for being a writer seth godin you know that name g-o-g-o-d-i-n he's he's kind of the granddad of modern digital marketing probably 20 years ago seth was writing these little baby books like this with just one key idea oh i I'll, I uh,
1: just looked him up. He's he has a pretty uh, distinguishable look. Or indistingu- yeah, 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 yeah. You can't
2: miss him. And everything he's ever printed. Is good. The thing I love it is there's only there's only one idea in this book. There's mm-hmm. not ten. If I pick up one more frickin' business book that has forty seven ideas, like everything the author could ever think of, shoved into the pages, I'm going to jump out of a window. So. <laughs> i'm gonna do this one at a time
1: i wanted to ask you about the book too because obviously it is about ideal client experience so i was kind of curious about the word ideal obviously you want the client to have the ideal client experience but i wanted to ask also is that does that go the other direction too that this is you know for somebody like are you looking for the ideal client in this book is that something that is kind of factored in
2: great question and it's a both and i thought it was kind of lucky um, it's like writing a song or a piece of poetry. When I put those three words together, I realized it immediately implies two things. And I loved it. You know, I kind of jumped out of my seat when I found the URL was available. You're welcome. Yeah, that's ideal amazing. client experience. So, so ideal client is in and of itself what we've, we've been talking a lot about in our, in this conversation today, like, um, discovering who you're best with who is magically attracted to you, who you're amazing with. That discovery process in itself gives rise to a new privilege. Because watch this, this is the problem. If you have a hundred clients and they're all different shapes and sizes and only 20 or 30 are ideal. And then somebody comes in and says, hey, client experience is important. You say, okay, client experience, what's your obvious problem?
1: Which, which client? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: well, you, yeah, you have to create fifty-seven different client experiences because none of them are the same. You've got maybe you've got some chunks. In reality, there's three or four groups in there probably. And what I realized was client experience itself has become a debilitating beatdown. When advisors hear it, they know they need to do it, but it, it's so frustrating because they think they have to go and create a magic carpet ride for everybody. I simply decided, Blake, that that was an impossible proposal. So my proposal is this. Let's find out who your ideal client actually is and who you want to be famous with for the next 10, 20 years. And let's create a client experience only focused on them. Nobody else. Nobody else. Just them. I, and I know that some questions will come up like, well, HB, does that mean we're going to treat our other clients poorly? No, no. It does not mean that. And we don't have time in today's podcast to sort through it. But if you want to talk about that, like, can you focus on one group without the diminishment and exclusion of another? Yes, you can. And how do you do that gracefully? Well, that's what I put in the book. I divided client experience into bites, into eight steps, so that even the nerdiest, non-empathetic members of your team can still participate. But the the proposal is, and I'm glad you brought it up, and it's very challenging, we can you can only get good at this if you will focus on your ideal client when you're trying to create that excellent experience model. Did I answer your question to that, the
1: point? you answered uh three of my questions. So you yeah, did, did a great job. No, I was like I was like, man, HB knows knows exactly what I what what we need to hear right now and you know, I I really appreciate you taking the time to to join today and share your mission that you're on. Um, everybody, please just you know keep up with what uh, what HB is doing. I'm sure that you're already going to go follow your pages. Um, where is the best place to kind of keep up with you these days?
2: I think right now it's to drop into that idealclientexperience.com page. Uh, you'll get quick intros. I've I put up some free surveys where you could kind of test your own. Client Experience IQ. You could download a free PDF and learn a little bit more about your ideal client. And then there's links to things like my YouTube channel and uh, other ways to get connected. And there's even a little button that says, hey, I want to talk to HB for a few minutes. Well, I'm the guy who answers the phone. All
1: right. All right.
2: Uh, I I was the guy who was stupid enough to print his cell phone in the last page of that book. (laughs) (laughs) I figured why make it hard on the people? It's hard enough already to have this conversation. Yeah. So you need somebody to talk to So you can just call me up if you want and I'll chat. Um, I still answer the phone. I'm kind of old school that way.
1: Hey, I love it. Well, um, it was an absolute pleasure. And uh, thanks for, for joining on the gym series. I, uh, I hope this is the beginning of many, many conversations in the future. So hey, thank you, HB. Thank you, Blake.
2: Had a great time.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of The GEM Series, where we're always here to share the goals, execution, and mindset of thought leaders around the world. If you're listening to this, I'm sure that you have some pretty big goals for yourself, and I would absolutely love to hear them. Actually, here at Rocket Level, we just launched our newest partnership program, where the goal is to, uh, well, build a relationship with you guys. I want to talk with all of you coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs This program is going to be providing free sales and marketing training giving you access to a massive network of small businesses and even paying you to allow us to handle the fulfillment side of things over the last 20 years uh, we've been able to learn a lot about how to handle digital marketing for a you know small business and frankly we want to pass that along after working with business coaches and consultants all over the world we decided let's make it formal let's make this thing happen so if you're at all curious check out the links attached and please reach out directly. I would love to meet you all. Remember, I'm always a email, text, phone call, or DM away. Everybody, remember to be awesome and do awesome things. A whole lot more coming soon. Take
1: care.